to restoration, especially if you're new. Um, thanks for coming. Um, it's such a Father's Day. So happy Father's Day. Um, and we're going to take our offering right now. So we're going to just let that kind of come forward. If, if you're new, you can just let that go by. Um, my name is Ryan. We're just, we're just pumped you're here. Um, I mean, the reality is Father's Day is, is, is a great celebration. And, and for many of us, I mean, we've experienced some loss this year. And so uh, some of you might be, um, this is maybe an ex- exceptionally painful Father's Day. And so we recognize that it's, it's not always easy. Um, and thinking about your kids and your dad and um, all that kind of stuff. So um, we're just glad you're here. We're glad you're wherever you are uh, this morning. Um, so we're just uh, in the middle of this series. I just wanted to share with you one thing, uh, just to give you a little bit of a kind of an update. Um, some of you have been noticing that we haven't been doing announcements um, on Sundays, and um, we've just decided that it's it's just best for us to try as a church to be a little bit more focused in on um, on worship, on on the moment. Um, and so you've been getting text messages um, every Sunday. If, if you're if you give us your information, you've been getting text messages, just giving you some announcements. Um, so we're just testing that out to see if that's helpful. And uh, so we wanted to let you know that. But I'm still going to give you an announcement today. Are you guys awake out there? No? Yeah? Maybe? By the way, there's pastries out there. Anyhow, everybody gets up and leaves. Um, so <laughs> knock yourself out, though. Um, VBS is coming up. And it's a partnership we, uh, we do with uh, uh, Neighborhood Friends Church. And it's just really an exciting event. And so if you've got kids or neighborhood kids or grandkids or, um, you know, kidnapped kids, whatever, um, that was a horrible joke. Um, Sign them up for VBS. Um, And if you'd like to volunteer, we would love more volunteers for that. You can sign up for a specific day, for a specific task, whatever that is. But here's the thing that we found out this week. Um, Some of you know we we have two box trucks like a big mama box truck and a baby box truck. Um, our baby box truck is going to be used next Sunday to get all the VBS supplies from another church. They're giving them to us all for free. Sets and decorations and all this kind of stuff. The key is we've got to go get it. So next Sunday after the service, if anybody would like to be a part of a little like one-hour moving crew, uh, box truck included. We would love to have you join us. So if you're interested, if you have some time next Sunday after the service, um, you can write on a connection card in your row. Um, you can write VBS moving crew or moving crew or box truck or manual labor or whatever. We'll figure it out and uh, we'll get you involved in that. So uh, this morning, I do, I have kind of a morning routine where, um, especially on Sundays, where I get up and um, I kind of get my own time in scripture. Um, well, first I make coffee, <laughs> I make coffee, I start to drink the coffee, and then I get time by myself in scripture. And um, when I'm done, I usually kind of kick off a little bit. I just do a little perusal of today's headlines which is kind of a hard thing because you're in scripture and then, but then, you know, you're drawn to the headlines a little bit. And um, let me just read for you some of the headlines from today in case you haven't already. Um, Mom, kids shot point blank after Westminster road rage incident. It's horrific. 
2,000 children separated from families in six weeks at the border. Arson attack Mars Nicaraguan ceasefire. Caracas nightclub stampede leaves 17 dead. And Beyonce, Beyonce and Jay-Z drop surprise album. I mean, that's good news, right? That's like maybe the only good news of the whole thing, right? I mean, what's the interesting thing, the problem with news, and I think a lot of us would have opinion on our news, right? And some of you are probably like, yeah, the media is biased. And I would think, I would say, if I'm really honest, the media is biased all over the place. I mean, I don't care what persuasion you are politically. There's, there's people with thoughts and their ideas and whatever, but the media can't escape ratings. And what usually sells, study after study after study, headline after headline, click rate after click rate, is bad news. Bad news piques our curiosity. Bad news, you know, there's something about that. Um, and I think that the, it's easy to think when you read the headlines that the world is falling apart at the seams, right? It's coming apart. It's... It's getting worse. It's going downhill. It's, it's bad. In a sense, that's true, right? In a sense, that's true. I mean, you got war and famine and genocide and scandals. and You've got all those things. But what we don't hear a whole lot of the time is the other storylines, the things that happen behind the scenes, the, the, the beautiful things that are that are happening that are far more uh, amazing than, than, and you know, there might not be attention for grabbing headlines, but we don't hear about them. We don't hear about relationships and families restored. We don't hear about people coming off addiction. We don't hear about uh, people being healed and this idea that the gospel is true and that the kingdom is here and, and these things are breaking in. We don't, we don't hear about the things happening in our local community. Like, I was in a meeting two weeks ago with Arvada High School and all these other community people involved in trying to make Arvada High School shine again, including Lutheran Hospital and Elks Club and all these different organizations that want to partner with. You don't hear that in the news. You don't hear about all the things that are happening with our partnership with Sunica and Nicaragua. You don't hear about people being rescued from sex, sex trafficking. and all, you, don't, you don't hear all that stuff. You just kind of hear these bad, like, you know, kind of scandalous, sensationalized headlines. But all this really beautiful stuff is happening underneath the surface. Remember back from 1 Corinthians 7, like three years ago, um, <laughs> Paul said this world in its present form is passing away. Now, a lot of people misinterpret that, in, interpret that line. And they think that every, everything is like the, the world, it's like the end of the time-space universe, right? Like it's just going to all just blow up and disintegrate. No, that's actually really bad theology. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying, he's not saying it will pass away. He says it is passing away. Does that make sense? Now, there's systematic brokenness like pride and greed and disease and oppression and slavery and racism. These things, Paul says, are passing away, meaning they are, they're fading off the stage. And a whole new world is being born called the kingdom of God. 
And there's this language that says that, that God's project, that's, that's what this kingdom of God means, that God's project to put the world to rights is actually coming on the stage. Okay, so put everything back together. Under the rule and reign of God, under God's joy, God's cadence, God's rhythm, under the rhythm of the living God, that's what's happening. That's what's going on. And remember, you and I are part of that story. Like, we're actually supposed to be engaged in that activity. The story that Jesus asks you and I to give our lives to. A different narrative. A different way to live. Now, on two levels, it's true. Two levels. The first level is kind of this overarching level. We get it out of Matthew 28 when Jesus tells the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, right? Now, that last phrase, to all creation, usually doesn't get handled. We usually talk about that being like, go preach the gospel to your friend or or your neighbor or whatever. Uh, But to all creation is like a whole different sermon, a whole new meaning that that we're not going to get into today, but we usually miss that part. And so inside that huge, massive narrative, right, of go and preach the gospel, you and I have specific little missions. Like the way you're created, the way you're wired, whether you're an introvert, introvert, extrovert, whether you're good at sales or, or fixing things or whatever. Like you and I have all different specific missions in that huge narrative. And coming towards the end of the summer, we get into chapter 12. We're going to be talking about the body of Christ and what Paul, like, we're all different. And, and, and the point of that, I mean, we're going to get to it, but the point of it isn't like some of you are really good at ushering and some of you are really good. No, it has nothing to do with being inside the church. It actually has everything to do with outside, what happens outside of our gathering, right? So we'll get into that down the road. But the point of the body is to reach out to the world, okay, a, a world that doesn't know the love of God. It's never experienced the love of God. And, and all of us have a different part to play in that. All of us have a specific mission. We have different functions. We have different gifts and callings, and, and you have a specific calling from God. And if you're young in this room and you're trying to figure out what that calling is, what that gifting is, I want you to don't get discouraged. Keep searching. Keep risking. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep pushing towards that. For me, uh, as I've wrestled with my calling in different ways and in different seasons, what I've come to understand is there's kind of three words that drive me. We're going to get into the text today because this all has everything to do with what Paul is saying. For me, there's three words that I, I kind of form my time and my mission around. The church, the local church, scripture, and teaching it and unpacking it and learning it and, and, and helping people understand it, and then the city. And, and, and kind of where we've planted ourselves as a family and as a church. Those are kind of the three things that kind of steer me, I guess you could say. And there's all sorts of different missions. I met with a guy this week that in the corporate world, he's spent so much time teaching um, seminars and, and small group studies around Franklin Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody read that? Anybody done that? Yeah. Some really good stuff in there, and, and he's done it in the corporate world so much, but he's just got this huge heart 
for homeless families and a huge heart for a section of homeless families that are, that are coming off of addiction and they're in recovery. And he wants to give his life. He feels like that is his calling to reach that group of people. And he's teaching them um, seminars. He quit his job, started a nonprofit to teach seven habits of highly effective people to people who are on the verge of homelessness. And that's like his mission. That's what he's doing with his life at this point. Now, here's the point. As we read the text today, I want you to be asking yourself in the back of your mind, what is your specific mission? What is, what is my specific calling? Because Paul is trying to narrow down kind of uh, what we're created for and what we have purpose for. So listen to these four word, uh, verses from Paul. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, there's a lot of good stuff here. We're going to have a ton of fun. Two vivid metaphors that Paul uses, running and fighting. Both of them come when he talks about the games. He actually says this in uh, verse 25. He says, everyone who competes in the games... He's actually referring to the Corinthian games. That's actually the Isthmian games, which is tough to say, unless you have a lisp. So lispers unite on that one. But the Isthmian games, right? It's, it's actually um, the second only to the Olympic games during this time. And it happened every four years. And it happened right on the, the Isthmus of Corinth. And, and so the two main exciting events, right? The two most exciting events were running. There's this one specific race. Um, the actual Greek word, we call it race, but the Greek word here is stadion, which is a specific race that was, that was a 180-meter race, um, 20 runners. And we're talking thousands, tens of thousands of people were there for this. Huge event, like the culmination. For us, the Olympics is like the 100-meter final, right, or whatever. But this was such a big deal, and, and, and that was the first one. And he said, run. He's like, this is what following Jesus is like. It's like this race. And then he says, following Jesus is like fighting. Now, this was a bare-knuckle fight. No pads. I mean, it was just brutal, violent. If running, the, ra the running race was glorious um, it kind of had, that was kind of the upper crust, kind of like th that part of society. The fighting event was kind of, was still very glorious, but it was more of like the rabble, you know, of society, the, like the little tougher, the mob mentality of society. And, and Paul says, in fighting, that is what following Jesus is like, running and fighting. These two metaphors are not random. Paul actually uses them all over his writing in the New Testament. We're going to look at a couple of them because I think it's really important. Uh, Paul wrote 14 letters 
um, in the New Testament. And we're going to start in Acts because I think this is super important because Paul, in, in Paul's mind, in Paul's heart, there is something he is racing and fighting for. And, and one of the things that happens at the end of Acts 20, uh, Paul, it's kind of the end of his career, the end of his, his, his following of Jesus and his missionary work. Paul is in Ephesus. He's about to sail to Jerusalem. Okay? And he knows what's happening when he gets to Jerusalem. Um, ultimately, he's going to end up in Rome. And he wants to go to Rome. In fact, he wants to uh, preach. He wants, it, he wants the message of the gospel to go all the way to the top, all the way to Caesar. And he knows it's a big deal. In fact, remember, the real gospel, the true gospel, is a very subversive message. It is a, it's not a best life now message. It's actually uh, not, not safe and convenient. And so if Paul is wanting to preach the gospel to Caesar, the problem is, is the slogan for Caesar is that Caesar is Lord. Okay? And on the back of the coins, it, it, it talks about Caesar being the son of God. And he's not going to announce to Caesar, hey, Caesar, you should invite Jesus into your heart. That's not his announcement to Caesar. He actually is going to announce to Caesar, Jesus is Lord. He rules the world. There is another king and another kingdom, and your kingdom is passing away. And there's a whole new kingdom coming on stage. How do you think that's going to go over? <laughs> Probably not really well, right? That's not a safe message. It's not going to score you nice points with uh, Caesar. So in Acts 20, it's, Paul says this in verse 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, here's the thing. If you know something is hard, one of the ways you know God is behind it is if it's really hard. If it's actually really difficult. If, it, if it's actually not convenient. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul, prison face slander from so many different sides, famine, shipwreck, right? I mean, who's been shipwrecked? Paul, no matter what the cost, I mean, he's beaten, slandered, uh, walking hundreds of miles, um, agonizing over uh, communities of people that he cares about, that he's heard word from. He just, all this stuff that Paul has faced, he leaves, uh, he leaves off, it, the, the whole story in Acts actually leaves off with Paul in Rome, right under Caesar's nose, okay, about to stand trial. And while he is there, he writes Philippians. And this is where scripture just comes alive. He writes Philippians. And what is at the end of Philippians? 
after everything Paul has gone through, all the running, all the fighting, to use his metaphors, Philippians 4, verse 22, listen to this. It's going to rock your world. All God's people here send you, send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Right? I mean, the gospel has made its way into Caesar's household. And they've come to their brothers and sisters now. Right? And Paul was willing to go through prison and hardships for that. My question for us, for me, is am I? Are we? Right? You and me, this community, are we willing to go through prison and hardships to do our specific mission? See, that wasn't Peter's mission. That wasn't Barnabas's mission. That was Paul's. Paul knew what he had to do. He was compelled. He, he, he had to do it. But, but let me just throw a couple references to you. This is really fun. So in Galatians, Paul, in one of the first letters he writes is actually this group of churches in Galatia, and they're getting off track, and there's some Jewish legalistic teachers there, and they're perverting the message, and they're perverting the gospel, and, and then there's, there's Jews and Gentiles, and they're, they're splitting apart because of this. They're actually segregating off. And Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who cut, on, cut in on you from, keep, from obeying the truth? It's really provocative language right here. You were running strong. You were running a good race. Who cut in on it? Who tripped you up? Who got you off track? Who pulled you away from your mission and your calling? Who sideswiped you? And for us, I mean, this is, like, this is really good language. It's good stuff for us to, to wrestle with. Maybe for us it was a, it was a person in our life or a, or a job or a, uh, maybe it's our education. Something cut in on us. Something became more of a priority in our life. Maybe for some of you, and I, this, is a, this is something for a lot of us, maybe it's other followers of Jesus who aren't living like Jesus who are really who really cut in on you, who really bummed you out, who really actually kind of made you go, man, I don't want to do this anymore. Who cut in on you? You were running a good race. Then one day you wake up and you say, what am I doing with my life? And then you have this letter from Paul in your inbox. <laughs> who cut in on you, right? Where did you get off track? Then he, he writes a, a couple of notes to, first, uh, to Timothy. First Timothy, he warns Timothy. Uh, Timothy's this younger, single guy, right? He's, he's strong. He's got gifts. And, and Paul's trying to encourage him about sin and temptation and the love of money and greed and all the problems, you know, stuff that we don't deal with really anymore. And in 1 Timothy 6, he says to Timothy, but you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then he says this, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Meaning a lot of people were there when you started the race. Then they cheered you on out of the gate. He's like, fight the good fight. Keep going. Fight this 
Fight the allegiances in your life and make sure that they're all pointed to the one true allegiance. And the reality is, I mean, I don't know if you've done this following Jesus for a while, but it is a bloody, violent fight to, to live the way of Jesus. There's scars. It's painful. Are you fighting? Are you raw? Do you have scars? One last one, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, this is literally the last chapter in Paul's life. We believe this is the last bit that Paul wrote. And he's in prison in Rome. And we think that these are the last of his surviving words. Paul's about to stand in front of Caesar and he says this, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, for which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all those who have longed for his appearing. How many of you long for his appearing? Like that is the big prize. Now notice all the same language from 1 Corinthians 9. Fighting, running, right? All these, all these things, all the way through, you know, there's so many more too that I haven't gotten into. Same analogies, only this time, Paul is at the end. And I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of my life, I want to be able to say, like Paul, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And like when my eyes close and that whole new reality is born, I want to be able to say that. Now, at the end of 1 Corinthians 9, it's really critical for how we live today. So no matter where you are, maybe you've just begun your race. You're, you're just trying to figure out what it looks like to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. And you're just kind of figuring all that out in different places in your life. And you've started the race and you're excited. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for years. And you feel like you're, you, you're, you're, your mission is coming towards its end. That's what I love about our church. We're a multi-generational, multi-experienced church with different backgrounds and different um, stories of following Jesus. Paul says only one gets the prize. He says, this is really his controlling idea of the whole thing. He says at the end of the chapter, run in such a way as to get the prize. Meaning there's other ways to run. You can kind of run kind of like with a little bit of effort. You, can, you know what I mean? You've, you've seen people run that way. That's, that's me. <laughs> um, you can run like you're running for last place. You could run, you could run like you're getting lost or um, you're off track. You can run a lot of different ways. But Paul's saying run as to win it. Like run with intentionality. Run strong. And so I have like quick five thoughts on that because I think this is really important. I think Paul comes up with five different things here that are, I think, important for us to, to kind of bring into our lives. The first one is, is to run with focus. He says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. 
He's like, I actually have a target. I have a goal. It's crystal clear. Now, lots of people live aimless lives uh, with not clear focus, with, with no map. They're drifting. They have no route. It's all accidental and unsteady, and there's, there's no focal point to it. Lots of people live decades like that, like literally decades. And now here's the thing. We live in a world with endless distractions, and we can get off track with so many different things. There's so much to do, and there's work and play and eating out and art and culture. We have Wastebook, right? We have things that can distract us. We can wander all over the place. I began to, to, to have conversations with people about just living more intentionally in my own life. And that's where I came up with those three words, church, scripture, city, for me. That's just me. And for me, when I started saying the word city, I started to reflect, okay, what do I actually do for the city? Like, if I actually think that where I live matters and scripture actually tells me to invest in where I live right, to actually seek the welfare of the city, what am I doing? You know, what, what does that mean? Like, if our church was to disappear, would the city care? If I was to disappear, would anybody notice, right? So I began to look for ways for myself, just me, not as a pastor, not as to, on the side, to do what I could do. And it was, it's been a journey. It's been awesome. So you live with focus, living with clarity. And once you figure out your mission, your life actually has a grid that you can filter all these different things through and go, is that really what I need to give my time to? Do not run like someone running aimlessly. The second one is hard work. Paul says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. This is really, it's really an interesting thing, like, working out and not working out or being active and not being active and, and, and just thinking about that as a, as a, in a soulish way, right? Like when you're not active, you begin to start to feel tired and you start to maybe depressed and things like that. Um, it's similar with your soul, like your spirit, like, like when you are engaged, when you are here, please listen to me on this one. Like godliness does not come naturally. It's just not a knee-jerk reaction for us. Like, you don't wake up one day and go, oh, I'm Mother Teresa now. Like, you just, you have to work hard. There's like blood, sweat, and tears and intentionality that goes into becoming like Jesus. It's action. It's not just checking a box and changing what you believe in your head. So if you think going to church and Bible studies and like, some of us are just waiting around for godliness to happen in our lives. <laughs> it's just not how it works. Like, you have to fight for that, right? You have to work hard. Like, no, self-effort is all over the Bible. I know people tell you, it's, oh, it's all grace, brother. <laughs> but there's just a lot of you getting off your butt and pushing in. Listen, if you want purity in your mind, you have to fight for that. If, if you want your tongue to become something that encourages and builds people up and brings life instead of like harming people and hurting people, you have to fight for that. That's not a, a switch that just gets flipped. 
Like, if you want to be content and not greedy in a world that's got that inertia to it, you have to fight for that. If you want to love and serve, you got to fight for that. It's all, it's like strict training, right? Third one is self-discipline. I know these get better and better. <laughs> these get easier and easier. Um, it's like watching, uh, some of you guys are like totally into American Ninja Warrior. Some of you. Some of you are like, what? Um, and they always have these backstories with the Ninja Warriorites. And they all have like built these huge, gigantic warehouses full of all these things or their backyards full of them. Like, like it's a big deal for some people. You don't just like show up and jump off the trampoline and hope it goes well, right? <laughs> like, and you always sit there going, can I do that? I could do that one, but I couldn't do that one. And, but it, when you think about athletes, like some of the best athletes, the most remarkable athletes in our world, like sure they have talent, right? But oh man, like the things they say no to, the late nights out with friends, you know? Coffee, right? No way. Um, like food and sleep and, and, and they say no to comfort and just taking it easy. They, they actually move their finances around this idea of training. and It's really amazing. Paul says that's kind of what this is all about. Now, there's a lot of good indicators for us when we're kind of off track, whether it's our thought life and our entertainment and maybe it's our food and our diet. Like for me, like when I'm stressed, I don't know if you guys are like me, but I like to eat. You guys are like, man, you're stressed a lot. <laughs> but like, maybe I am. Shut up. All right. But Paul, remember the last week we talked about Paul actually gave up his paycheck gave up his right to, to be financially supported because the gospel was so important. Number four, endurance. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Hebrews 12 tells us, let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Sometimes it's a sprint. Sometimes it's a marathon. Sometimes seasons just feel like you're just barely putting one foot in front of the other. For some of us in this room, you, you need to hear, keep going, keep running, keep fighting. For some of us in this room, you need to hear, get going, get off your rear. It's time to do something. It's time to lean in. Now, the older I get, the less I, pressed I am with passionate people. Like, passion is great, right? It's like out of the gate, you're excited. You're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that passion, I mean, I've seen passion drain out of people in six months, six weeks. What gets me most fired up is faithfulness. Like people who throughout difficult times and diagnoses and diagnoses, and um, however you say that, and like loss and, and, and betrayal and all these different things that we experience following Jesus. And they're still going. No, I'll take, I'll take faithfulness all day, 
right? And the last one, he says, run with endurance. And the last one is hope. Run with hope. They do it, Paul says, to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So when you win the Isthmian Games, you get a crown that is of pine leaves and cones and things. Um, those don't last very long. I don't know if you've tried. Uh, you get honor. You get, you get some money. You get 100 drachmas. Just whatever that is. And, um, and you're just, you're, you're actually king of the world. You know, you're, you're famous for like four years, you know? Like, okay, a few Olympics ago, someone broke, I forget the guy's name. This is, tells you how much fame lasts. He broke the world record in, in the marathon, this Kenyan guy. And it was all over the pages of the newspapers for, for like a week. And no one knows his name anymore, right? So like that, all that stuff goes away. The question I have for us as we wrap this up, do you want to give your life to something that will not last? Because a lot of us do. I mean, we're all followers of Jesus, but a lot of us are giving our life and our time and our money to things that just won't last. We're giving our, our, our life and to, to empty, transitory pursuits. And if you live on mission and the special part you play in the kingdom, you live for a crown that will last forever. Now, there's a lot of misunderstandings about that. A lot of people have this whole idea of crowns and rewards. And since we come from a very materialistic society, a consumer society, we think that it means if I do this for God now, then when I get to heaven, he's going to hook me up with a mansion and a beamer. And there are actually people that preach this. And run from that. Okay? Like... He, that's not what the New Testament says. It's like, like the only difference then between like greedy, narcissistic people that like me first people and Christians is we're just have delayed gratification, right? So the, the point of, of the actual meaning behind this, there's two examples in, in the New Testament about this, both from Paul. The first one is 1 Corinthians 4, where he says, your, your reward is praise from God. So in a very honor-shame society, my reward is that God, I could hear God say, well done. Wow. The other example for doing a good job is you're given more to do. You're given more responsibility. You're given more ownership. See, we, we work really hard, this idea in America for retirement, for Florida, for buffets at 3.30, you know. That is not God's vision for eternity. That is not God's vision for, the New Testament talks about rewards. You know what the, the New Testament means by reward? Here's what the New Testament means by reward, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to hopefully make sense. The reward for what you are doing, your specific calling, mission, your passion, your, your joy in following Jesus, the reward for what you're doing is what you're doing, right? Like, that's part of it. The, the reward for what you are working for is what you are working for. It will last forever. My reward is not that I get to heaven one day and there's a beamer waiting for me in a mansion. My reward for helping you walk with Jesus, 
is that I get to see you walk with Jesus. And not for a year, not for five years, but forever. Right? So working with Jesus to redeem this world, working for something that will last forever, that breathes hope into my soul. Right? That breathes, that, so when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, when I get cynical, it's easier for me to hate than it is to love. It's easier for me to buy than to give away. It's easier for me to, to gossip, gossip than it is to pray. It's easy for me to sleep in than it is to engage my community. And in moments like those, that's the hope we have, the hope we have. Do not forget the hope you have. Because the reality is the way of Jesus, following Jesus is not easy. In fact, what does Jesus say? Deny yourself, right? Pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, that, that is a lousy PR campaign. <laughs> That's just not easy. Die to yourself. He's like, okay, put your life down. Let's go. Right? Put your life down. Let's go. Because literally, there's an inertia to this. In, in the actual literal, you know, documents of the founding of our country that we celebrate, it's the pursuit of happiness, right? There are times when following Jesus and the pursuit of happiness are mutually exclusive. And we have to remember that. Like joy and happiness are very different. So your prize, folks, church, your prize has a face. Your prize has a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Your prize is Jesus. Amen.